Hello and welcome to the Why Behind the What. My name is Nathan Albert, and as always, I am so glad you are listening to this podcast today. This season on the Why Behind the What, we've been talking about how the ancient and contemplative can rekindle faith, can heal a soul, and can transform lives. If you're a new listener, the first part of this season, I shared specific spiritual practices that I've encountered that have really changed everything for me. And since then, I've been interviewing friends and colleagues and a bunch of awesome people I follow on social media about spirituality, these ancient and these contemplative aspects of this faith. I hope you found these conversations insightful, encouraging, full of wisdom, and I have loved uh, learning from all of these people. On this episode, I have the chance to speak with Ed Szeszki on the importance of centering prayer and contemplative practices for calming an anxious mind and finding great delight in the divine. Ed is a writer, editor, and author of multiple books. He blogs regularly on prayer and the writing process. And two of his books we talk about in this episode are Flee, Be Silent, Pray, Ancient Prayers for Ancient Christians, and his second just coming out in June, called Reconnect, Spiritual Restoration from Digital Distraction. Both of these books are great resources for those who want to dig into ancient spirituality, as well as to become aware how technology can enhance or inhibit such spiritual experiences. Ed has also edited books for some incredible authors. I was researching on his website and I saw his list of previous clients and I was like, whoa, hang on, what, that book? Wait, that author? Wow. So Ed is doing some incredible work. If you want to check out what he's doing, I have a few links in the show notes, but you can also learn about Ed and get his books on his website, edsuzeski.com. If you enjoy this podcast, one thing you can do in return, which is so helpful to me, is to rate and leave a review on iTunes. Simply go into the Apple Podcast app, click on my show, scroll down until you see write a review. Click on that tap some stars, write a short sentence, and then hit send, and we'll be besties forever. Another huge help is sharing this podcast in your social media circles, spreading it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's a huge help. As always, this podcast was written, recorded, and edited on Monacan land. With that, here's my interview with Ed Szeszki. So Ed, Thanks for being on the podcast. I'm glad you're here. As we begin, can you tell us a little bit who you are, what do you do professionally, a little bit about yourself personally as well? Sure. Yeah, I'm a I'm a seminary graduate who graduated from seminary and realized I didn't want to be a full-time pastor. And so the writing kind of became plan B. And it kind of became kind of two things. There's the writing that's my my work, my professional freelancing, where I edit books for people, I write websites, and I mean, it's really anything, but it's mostly editing books these days. And then the other thing is I, I write books, my own books, and I, I both self-publish and also publish commercially. And my latest two books were with Harold Press, uh, Flee, Be Silent, Pray, and Reconnect. And those are two great books, which are great transitions into my next question. Um, but your first, the first book you mentioned, Flee, Be Silent, and Pray, I really love the subtitle that it's an anxious evangelicals, or no, wait, an anxious evangelical finds peace with God through contemplative prayer. So I'd love to hear a little bit more 
of how did you discover contemplative prayer and how did it help with your anxiety or just the anxiousness of life? Um, right. Yeah. 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 That's a lot to unpack there. I should, I, I should add that you, uh, you would have read the, the self-published version and then Harold uh, acquired it and they gave it a new subtitle, which is ancient prayers for anxious Christians. Uh, but yeah, teaching, teaching anxious Christians how to pray. And I mean, that's basically a little bit of my story is growing up evangelical and, you know, always feeling like I can never pray enough. And also, I think the other issue is that the God that I imagined myself praying to was not a God really, uh, I mean, just to put it like bluntly, not really worthy of adoration and worship. It was, a, it was an angry, judgmental God. And so it's really hard to pray when, A, you don't really know what to do. And then the God you imagine is really angry with you. And then you always feel guilty and sh ashamed. You're never praying enough anyway uh, because of all the other stuff that keeps you from praying. So uh, that's kind of a little bit of my background and story with, with that. And in seminary, I started going to these like, you know, meetups that were kind of contemplative prayer meetups led by, you know, Protestant evangelical pastors. And they were teaching how to pray. And I, uh, how to do silent prayer and how to do centering prayer and how to do Lexio Divina and all these practices that have a lot of grounding and roots in the history of the church. And uh, some of which even go back to the desert fathers and mothers. And I, I tried it and I didn't have like a spiritual experience. And so then it was like, well, that didn't work. And I kind of, kind of downward spiraled a bit and had a lot of really, I had a really negative experience growing up as a Catholic before I converted to a Protestant. And um, at a certain point, I got so desperate to learn how to pray. And I just kind of, I, I felt like that quest for a spiritual experience, that's, that's kind of like an American thing, I think, as far as, especially, like, we kind of get that, like, uh, what's the word? like we're kind of more inclined as Americans to like, look for results and to, like, measure our progress. And, you know, we want to see uh, something, we want to see the benefit now. And there's, there's that immediacy and desire for progress. And I didn't see that. And I was starting to feel like maybe I just would never figure out how to pray or how to be close to God or intimate with God. And so like contemplative prayer and looking at Catholic writers was kind of my like last ditch effort to like save my faith in a way. And that's really where I found peace and rest. And I found that uh, God is present and God loves us, but there isn't necessarily a guarantee that we're going to have some kind of a you know, mystical, amazing experience. We may have them, but, um, you know, the interesting thing is that a lot of contemplative teachers would say that that desire for all these, you know, spiritual encounters and all these feelings and emotions, um, they're not bad, but it can almost become like a crutch and it become a, become a, a like we're trying to manipulate God to like give us something that we want. Uh, instead of waiting patiently and quietly on God in faith, and just receiving whatever God gives. And if once I stopped demanding or expecting a particular outcome for prayer, then I was able to receive what God had for me. You mentioned that you had this view of God being the angry one or not worthy of prayer. How did your understanding of God change as you practiced contemplative prayer? Yeah, there's a line from Richard Rohr that, um, I found really helpful. He talks about Christianity uh, isn't, isn't about worshiping Jesus's journey. Christianity is doing Jesus's journey. That's the discipleship journey is to 
to do what Jesus did. It's not just to, you know, learn it or revere it, but it's actually to do it, to participate in it. And at like the two most kind of critical moments in Jesus's ministry, both at the beginning and the end, uh, we had these experiences where God speaks from the sky and says basically the same thing. Like, this is my son, my beloved, listen to him. And um, that, that struck me as like, that's, you know, as I read the epistles kind of through that lens of like, we're doing Jesus's journey, I started to see like, oh, like that's the same thing that God's speaking to us, that as I read John and Paul, uh, that love is, is also being extended to us. Um, so, you know, that, that journey then became my own journey uh, toward God's love and receiving God's love. And that, that changed how I prayed because then it was God was present and I wasn't trying to perform or, or please God in a certain way. Yeah. One of the things I've discovered I have a similar journey to, as you be growing up evangelical, kind of always trying to do these spiritual practices in order to get to God, or that if I didn't do them well enough, or if I sinned too much, then that would inhibit my connection with God. And what I've found with centering prayer and some of these other contemplative practices that you've even shared, Lexio, Examine, um, even Silence and Solitude, that it simply opens me up to hear from God. And it, you know, the to-do person in me, I feel like, oh, I'm not doing enough. But in actuality, in not doing enough, I'm learning how to be with my thoughts, with my anxious thoughts, with my whatever might bubble up. But I'm also learning to be with God. And that's a very different understanding of spiritual practices for me um, and it sounds like very similar for you as well. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there isn't, and I think that, you know, I don't know if, if that's a cultural thing or or what, yeah. or just human nature, but um, that's, it's hard to shut down that performative, that earning, that, you know, doing doing something to achieve an outcome, uh, you know, because it's, it's subtle. The difference is subtle, but the difference is, uh, you know, being present for what's already there versus something's not there and you have to go get it or find it. Like it's, um, that's great. And I've, I've even caught myself as I was writing, please be silent and pray and reconnect, trying to not say that like we, that I like had to find God or had to like get to God or God showed up even like, it's like God's already present. So it's becoming aware of God or, you know, so, um, that, that even that language has taken a while to like force myself to like rethink that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, even in, I've been a part of churches where we've said things like, let's invite God into the space or, oh, I really felt like God was here this service. Last service, not so much, but the worship this service, we really feel like God was there. And it's such a, now it's such a silly phrase because I think, no, God is already here. And some of these practices open us up, make us aware that God is as close to us as our very breath. And that's been a profound thing with these practices for me. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm totally guilty of that as a former worship leader. I've, oh, you know, made same, this mistake. Same. Yeah. Um, same. You know, I think there's a sincerity and an honesty about like, you know, I think that the reality is that there, you know, there's a moment of being more aware of God and, and having a, a greater experience of God. But yeah, the language kind of doesn't really capture the intimacy of what actually the reality is. But yeah. 
Yes, I just found, in case there's any worship leaders out there, I wanted to like say like me too, like it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found ancient and contemplative practices such as centering prayer, all these that we've been talking about, they they benefit our spiritual well-being, no doubt, right? They open us up to God. But I found a a, a personal aspect of it that it's it's good for my personal well-being. I'm less anxious, I'm less busy, I'm less stressed. Have you send something similar and how has that how have they impacted your personal well-being not simply your spiritual well-being yeah i mean there is no doubt in the world that um these practices are really really good just for us from like a mental health standpoint yeah and it's one of those things where it's like when you like when you say i'm anxious and someone's like well have you tried running you know it's like it can kind of become like have you tried you know centering prayer you know if you're anxious like i don't want it to become that kind of a trope uh it, it helps. I think that we don't want to pursue, you know, prayer as like a means to an end to serve ourselves. But I do think that as our spirits get, uh, you know, in, at peace and as our souls are cared for uh, in, in God, then there are implications for other areas of our lives and, and we get a perspective and, and that helps us uh, disconnect from some of the things that might drain us or, or cause us worries or fears. I mean, it's just, you know, that, that that strikes me as you know kind of an inevitable outcome. You know, at the same time, it's like you know, people still need anxiety medication. People still need to go to the therapist. Like, you know, I go to a therapist, and she says to me that, you know, people who have you know she she knows I'm a Christian and she's a Christian too, and um, just kind of by way of us talking that came up that she said that she has found in her practice that uh, she doesn't bring up religion, but anyone who does bring up religion and their therapy and, and has an active prayer life, she sees them generally make progress faster. Like they just they seem to like be able to work through their thoughts because I think prayer is, I mean, it's a really healthy practice as far as learning to face our thoughts and face our fears and anxieties and, and to bring them to God. And like that's, I mean, that's kind of what therapy is a little bit as far as just like you, you have someone helping you untangle your thoughts and and see them as they are. I mean, that's kind of what prayer, you know, so there, there are lots of connections uh, and, and similarities and overlaps. So you never want to make like a one-to-one comparison and you never want to make it like an easy, quick fix. But I mean, as far as just the mental health picture, uh, you can't overlook the place that prayer has played. And and um, just for me becoming a, a saner, calmer person, like it's, it's made a huge difference. Yeah. I want to transition to your your more, most recent book, um, which I'm almost finished with, um, but called Reconnect, Spiritual Restoration from Digital Distraction. And I, this book has been my journey for probably the last two or three years. Um, and so it's really cool to see how, um, well, I mean, just my journey over the last few years has been a spirit diving into contemplative spiritual practices, which has influenced my use of technology, social media, at least becoming aware of it, and now even <clears throat> doing digital um, detoxes and di- disconnecting from my digital devices for months at a time, um, canceling certain social media um, accounts that I have. Um, did a recent podcast episode on the importance of disconnecting from our devices so we can connect with the divine. So I'd love to um, have you share just as give a a quick overview of that book. Um, and how do you think 
our devices either inhibit or enhance our spirituality? Yeah. So the, the thing to say up front is that this book isn't like a black or white, like, you know, phone bad or social media bad. Yeah. Uh, what it aims to do is to help people see the, the whole situation with clarity. Because the problem is that a lot of times we, you know, we beat ourselves up for not having good self-control or self-discipline about using our phones or social media. Um, and it's really easy to overuse them. Uh, super easy, especially right now with, with a lot of people, you know, in quarantine and all that. Um, you know, it's, that's just going to be our challenge right now. And what people um, are finding is that it's really hard to stop. And so where the book begins is basically saying, really hard to stop because even the people who design all these apps and devices, uh, who design all these features, they can't stop using them either. And, you know, so they, they actually, like the lady who designed like the like button on Facebook, the little red bubble that tells you how many likes you have, she doesn't use Facebook because it's so addicting and she went there for personal affirmation. Uh, you know, the guy who designed like infinite scroll so that you always have a new, you know, new content showing up on your social media feed. He can't stop using it. Um, and, you know, he says, you know, there's like a thousand engineers all working together to make these, you know, these social media products addicting. Uh, people game the system by posting stuff that's really uh, engaging and, and, you know, gets you fired up and angry or emotional. Um, you know, it, and it rewards the stuff that's the, the negative stuff, the angry stuff, the, the upsetting stuff. Uh, so, you know, we beat ourselves up about our self-control or about our use of time. And, and there's a lot stacked against us. And, you know, basically what I've found is that there's, you know, digital formation, the way that our phones and social media shape us, and there's, there's spiritual formation, and they're very, very different. And they can kind of take away from each other. And so digital formation is like the quick hit, the, you know, the um, easy affirmation. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's fairly shallow. And, and while there are deep and good things you can do with digital uh, products and, and with digital apps, uh, it's really easy to misuse them. And it's really easy to go down, you know, a, a, a way of using them that can actually leave you feeling drained and kind of do the opposite of what you're hoping. And that's the problem is that these apps and social media provide, they promise to make us more connected and more together. And actually we're really fragmented and divided and our, our attention spans are getting shorter. And uh, it's really hard to be still and silent and by ourselves and to actually do the things that would restore us. And so when we pray, it's harder to, to wait and be still and to uh, commit to the long-term process of, of spiritual growth. So, you know, whenever I talk about this, there's always someone who says, well, I can use my phone to pray. And it's like, well, sure. Like I've, I've done that as well, but you know, the idea of you know, the people who make these phones, they want to have as many apps that are as useful as possible so that you have as many reasons to be on your phone so they can get your data and sell you more stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it becomes a trap at times. And so, yeah, by all means, like, you know, keep the stuff that's really useful on your phone, but there's a lot of stuff for your phone that is going to drain you and make it really hard to pray because it's going to train you to live in a way that's very different from the way that spiritual formation could shape you. And there's so much in your book too. I mean, you have so many studies in there and so many, um, you have a bunch of footnotes, uh, and, but I found that a lot of us are face to phone around people rather than face to face with people. And so sometimes we, like you said, social media, 
is trying to connect us with people, but it becomes the greatest barrier to actually connecting us with the people we are with in that moment, let alone connecting us with God who is with us at all times. Um, Because we use it as a form of distraction. We use it as a form of filling boredom or filling waiting in the line or even just anxious thoughts that we immediately go to that device rather than sit with those thoughts or sit in the boredom to discover what is around us right then and there, taking us away from the present moment even. Right, right. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's, you know, there's that uh, Jean Twenge of MIT uh, studied a lot of this stuff, and she said that, you know, people, she, the, the teens she talked to said that they're always, you know, hoping that maybe there'd be like something better. Like, we're always kind of like waiting for that next thing. And even if it's not like better on your phone, and even if it pulls you away from the people you're with, you know, the idea of getting that next thing, that new thing uh, becomes so attractive and it's so hard. And even, even just having your phone out makes you less aware. Like they've done studies where like people don't enjoy their dinner as much yeah. if the phone is visible, but if it's out of sight, they're much more present and able to focus on the people around them. Yeah. Yeah. I read once today that when the, your, your phone is even on the table, that your conversation, whether it's at dinner or coffee table or coffee shop, um, you're less intimate with one another. You're less open and honest because you assume you'll get to, someone will get a text and have to respond or the conversation will have to stop and we'll check something online. Um, which is such an interesting thing. Um, just having the presence of a phone can have that impact on our conversation. Right. And we have the phone out because we're promised that it'll make us more connected. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's the, you know, the challenge is to like kind of rethink the, the marketing hype around it. So let me ask you this. I feel like it's hard to convince people who, myself included, who are on social media, who are getting the next like or posting the next item or the, the drive or the dopamine hit of the next breaking news How do you convince them that contemplative practices, which aren't rewarding in the moment, are better than the social media that is rewarding, at least in our minds, in that moment? I mean, there's there's kind of two different ways to go about it. I mean, one question that I ask in the book is, you know, think about why you started using your phone or social media in the first place. Uh, And does your present usage match up with those goals and those, you know, those hopes, you know, and if not, like what happened? Um, I think a lot of times that helps us just think about our intention and, and what we were hoping to get out of it versus how we're using it. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, for me, it was, you know, what led me to write this book. There were a couple of different moments, but, you know, a big thing was just turning to social media as a like stress relief distraction thing and it just made things worse and it took me a while to figure that out (laughs) um so you know just think about like what's your intention what are you trying to get out of it and like are you getting that out of it you know and most of the time it's no (laughs) you know uh the people who are you know and as as usage goes up uh you know feelings of isolation and uh you know disconnect increases and you know if you can kind of cap it at like i think it's like 30 minutes a day 
you know, this generally a pretty good quality of life. Uh, so it's like not like not uh, abstaining completely, but you know, the studies show like if you use it, you know, in its place in limited amounts, then it could be really useful and helpful. Um, you know, the other thing is to think about like what, um, you know, if you could have the life that you imagine God wants for you, that you would want for yourself, uh, you know, is your phone and is social media, is it helping you get there? Is it helping you, you know, do those things? And, uh, you know, pretty early in my like writing career, I, I remember I had a, you know, a book come out or promotion and uh, I was hoping some folks in a group that I was a part of would help out, would help promote the book. And they didn't, they like, like almost nobody did. Nobody took interest in it. And I was really bummed about it. And I, I told uh, uh, Sean Smucker, another you know, author about it. I was like telling Sean, that I was kind of bummed that no one was interested in my book. And he's like, what do you think would actually happen? Like if they shared your, your book, like if they started to like engage with it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, you probably get maybe like a few sales. And I think that like a lot of times we like overestimate like what social media is going to do for us or how it's going to help us. And it becomes a lot more about like, just like uh, kind of social signaling about like, you know, oh, like this, you know, we want to feel like we're important or significant. So um, I think that's the other thing is that we just overestimate the benefits we're going to get and underestimate the benefits we would get maybe from silence. And we just don't have a, a baseline. So I would say to people, you know, think about where you need to be or where you feel like God is calling you to be and, you know, see how silence and protecting your time goes, right? That's like the three things in the book. It's like, you know, protect your time um, and, you know, and uh, preserve space for silence and prioritize one-on-one -on -one connections. Uh, you know, see how those practices help you and see if you can get to that place faster than if you were engage with social media in a way that had no limits or boundaries. Yeah. I love those, those three priorities. You, you kind of have that right in the beginning of the book and I highlighted it, um, as I, you know, I think it's right chapter one. Um, but it is a great, a great mantra you should, you could say, um, because I think so often we realize how quickly time goes away when we are on social media, the infinite swiping and dragging, um, and then an hour goes by and we're like, what? I just, I wanted to watch one video of a cat and now TikTok has taken over. Um, and the priority of one-on-one -on -one interactions, how important that is to our souls, to our well-being, to our family, our spouses, our relationships. Um, and then also just how noisy our world is. And so finding silence, um, I mean... Even now in this corn, I've I've been a part of so many meetings or FaceTime and and Zoom calls where it's noisy, where everyone's talking, we're hearing jittery things, the connections wrong. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What? Uh, what? Uh, you know. But then to sit away from that and to find silence is so refreshing. And I think those are just three really important things um, for us to remember as we engage not only with social media and our use of technology, but also that these are, these are spiritual practices as well, aren't they? Yeah, that's the thing. Like that's, you know, you talk about silence being refreshing. And I would say like my first year of trying to be silent, like was not refreshing. And then it like kind of like helped me establish a new baseline 
where it's like, okay, this, I, I started to realize I need to be silent now. I need this. Like, you know, and, and so there'll be times where I'll just tell my wife, like, I need to like, just lock myself in the room in the dark room for like 20 minutes. Like, yeah. and she kind of knows yeah. like, all right, you know, see you later. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. I always compare, you know, the practice of silence to like running, uh, that you have to almost like build up the capacity and endurance for it because we get so used to, uh, the stimulation and letting our thoughts run wild. Uh, we have to learn how to let go of our thoughts and how to, uh, you know, to breathe deeply, to uh, you know, disengage from thoughts, and that becomes a practice that we can also apply in other moments of our lives. But um, it's a it's a process, you know, and, and that's so like that's that is it's kind of a hard sell, I think, for people as far as just like you could have your phone, sure. which makes you feel momentarily good, or you could, you know, commit to this like year long practice of learning to be silent, and you'll be really good after like a year, but you know. <laughs> It's a long way. The first spiritual retreat I went on, or the silent retreat I went on was in, in seminary. And I realized about halfway through the day, I think it was like an eight hour, eight to five or nine to six or something like that. About halfway through the day, I was in the restroom and there were these great acoustics and I realized I was humming and singing a tune. And I was like, oh, wow, these acoustics are incredible. And then at that moment, I realized I had been humming the entire day. I wasn't silent for hours that the entire day I had, I mean, I also was a musical theater guy. Um, so I always have songs running through my head, but it was this stark realization that in my quest to be silent, I actually wasn't at all. I was constantly singing songs. And even now the discovery of, like you said, building up, building up the endurance to sit in silence that five minutes 10 minutes, 15 minutes can go by in a blink of an eye. Um, and even as I've led students and others through meditations or silence or centering prayer, I've often been surprised at people's responses saying, I can't believe I sat here for 15 minutes. It's been 30 minutes. I've, it's felt like nothing. And that's just a, it's, an, it's a pretty amazing thing that we can settle ourselves through that space and that time. And it goes by so quickly. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it is... Uh it's one of those things where I always tell people it's, it sets up a new baseline for your life. And so that, you know, when you are deviating from it, then you recognize, it. and that's, and that's a big part of, you know, the message and reconnect. It's, it's not so much about having like a formula or like a one size fits all solution. It's just having more awareness of yourself rather than put yourself at the mercy of social media companies that have every in financial incentive to capture your attention for as long as they're able to. Are there other spiritual practices for you that you've discovered some of these ancient ones that have really impacted your life? You mentioned a few at the beginning, but I'm curious, are there others that have really had a profound effect on you? Yeah. I mean, like the, the Jesus prayer is something where, um, I feel like I can just kind of carry that with me throughout the day. I go for a run or something like that. Just having that in my mind. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of times when I would exercise or like mow the lawn or whatever, a lot of times I would go to like kind of my grievances. Like I would go to like the stuff that's really bugging me. My mind would kind of just cycle through all the stuff that made me angry uh, or that I was discouraged about or annoyed about. And, you know, you can kind of just fixate on that for a long time. Like I, I don't know how long I could fixate, but a while. And so having something else to kind of give your mind, like, like to your mind, like do this, 
instead. You know, the Jesus prayer is a really great thing for uh, when you just need something else in your mind. And um, yeah, there's different variations of it, but you know, also just the constant reminder of, of God's mercy. Like that's yeah. really helpful and useful. Um, but yeah, the examine has been really useful for me. And I honestly, like I, I never really do it the same way twice anymore. I have my journal and I just kind of write through, um, you know, gratitude and uh, what's, what's kind of an affliction or what's, what's a challenge. Uh, and I, I kind of look ahead to the next day. And I think just having that awareness is really useful. I mean, that's the psychologically practicing gratitude at, at all is really good for your psychology. And so, um, yeah, the examine has been really helpful for me just uh, to have that as a, a daily refuge, you know, just to know that I have a place to kind of dump out my thoughts. And, and so those two things kind of help me uh, get into a better mental state in general. And then when I do want to sit and do silent prayer, I'm not like a mess. You know, that's the thing. People are like, you know, you're like a, a car that's going like 60 miles an hour and you're like screeching the brakes to like sit in silence versus you're moving at a slower pace and you can kind of you learn how to gradually slow down your thought yeah yeah that's what that's what i found journaling can do actually like a a filter for your thoughts that it just or a funnel it just pours it all out on the page and kind of lets your mind be a little more at ease for a moment or two um but then also bringing that into silence and centering prayer um it's a great piece of advice I'm glad you brought that up because that's that is kind of like the thing that's missing for a lot of people i think with silent prayer is people teach you know centering prayer is like here's this way to be silent but they don't teach ways to kind of like empty your mind out a little bit ahead of time which maybe that's not the best way to put it but like how to how to slow your mind down ahead of time so that it's not such a jarring moment um because i think our minds do get filled up with really troubling or difficult thoughts and so like yeah of course it was really hard to center prayer because you know, your, your mind is so busy right now. So uh, learning these other things first to kind of give you a place to deal with those thoughts. And then you can pray uh, with a bit more, you know, just ease and peace and, and focus. Yeah. Yeah. If people want to get connected with you on social media <laughs> or out in the, in the interwebs, how, how can people get connected to you and your work? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on about 20 minutes a day. So that's my like limit. Um, so it's on Twitter, it's, it's at uh, Ed Szyzewski, C-Y-Z-E-W-S-K-I. Uh, I've got a website too, just edszyzewski.com. And that's, uh, again, C-Y-Z-E-W-S-K-I. And uh, I've got you know, some free books. I've got like, an intro cha chapter to Philippe Silent Prey on my uh, website you can download. So um, I've got a little ebook on like, how, to, how to use your phone less and pray a bit more. Uh, there's a couple of free giveaways if you sign up for my newsletter. So if people want to check out those, they can do that. That's great. I'll put all that in the show notes too. So people have the links right to them um, so they can get connected. So, but I do thank you. I, I really appreciate your work. Um, it's, it's just encouraging to see someone a little further down on the journey that I've been on. So it's, um, it's great and encouraging to know, ah, yes, I'm not alone in this or, um, and I just really think you're doing some important work. So I, I thank you for spending some time on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the conversation. And so friends, as you seek to reconnect with the divine, 
protecting your time, maintaining one-on-one interactions, and finding silence in your day. May you have peace. May you have calm. May you have happiness.